welcome to Artist Materialist. I'm Susanna, an artist and graphic designer. I'm Dan, a material scientist. And today for episode 25, we are going to be discussing the article, How Connected Is Your Community to Everywhere Else in America? from the New York Times by Emily Badger and Quoctrug Bui. Uh, and this is on their upshot vertical, their their data science or the uh, area of the of the newspaper. Ah, I didn't realize that that's what this was, that they had a specific data science vertical. I'm going to have to look into that more. I guess I just assumed it was one of the various, I don't know, social media technology, whatever things, but data science definitely interests me and I love good data visualizations. Mm -hmm. And this article has plenty of them and that's initially what drove me to it was all these cool maps that they have showing the different social networks visualized by county. And I'm glad you brought it up because I'd maybe seen some people talking about it on Twitter when it first came out in, looks like, uh, September. But because of the way I have my phone set up with JavaScript turn off, I, I couldn't see it at all. So uh, thank you for pointing us back to it. So actually look at it on a larger screen and see what they, people were talking about. You're welcome. And I think this is definitely one that deserves to be read on a large screen so you can really see the maps that go along with the article in full detail. So this article is about social connectedness in America. And what they did was they took Facebook data, as so many people do nowadays, I guess. <laughs> they took Facebook data and looked at where people were connected, um, where their friends were compared to where they lived and how far away their friends lived from them. And what they discovered was that for most people, their friends, their social network is physically close to them. And if you look at all the people within a given area, the other people that form their social network will be geographically nearby. And it forms these little clusters of connected people. Yes, and and, and the, the sort of the numbers they they point out are something like on the order of uh, 63% being within 100 miles. I think that might have just been for, for D.C., but that's one I paid attention to. And most people are within uh, 18 miles of their mother, and within you know, a lot of lots of things happen sort of in that 15, 18, 20 miles uh, radius. That's, that's as far as most things extend. Yes, and it says here that even college students, we think of people going away to college, but it says the typical student enrolls in college less than 15 miles from home. So, maybe, that, maybe that's what, what my note was to, to myself. 15 miles to home for, for college, yes. So, it's, so people don't move around as much as we might have thought. I mean, I know people do move around a lot more nowadays than... They used to, and that's sort of the talking point that if you live in a global society, you can connect with people all over the world. You have to move around a lot to get a job, and people will move to get jobs and things. But in general, if they do move, they tend to form networks where they end up. And looking at these maps, what they found were there were several 
things that help define the networks. And some of them were state lines, state borders. Some of them were history, historical uh, events. And some were physical boundaries like uh, rivers, for example, or mountains. And one of the examples um, in the state lines section was Richland County, South Carolina, which is where I used to live. That's the capital of South Carolina. And it shows that most people who live in that county are connected to other people in the state and not many people outside of it. And that kind of makes sense, though, because that is where the big state university is. And a lot of people from all over the state go to USC mm-hmm. and are there. And it's also where the capital is, so the state representatives and the government is there, and they're connected to other people within South Carolina. But they wouldn't really have any reason to be connected to people outside of it nearly as much. Right, and that's... Because why would people in Georgia care about South Carolina government? <laughs> and that's, that's one of the things, being in the D.C. area, you really notice that there's a distribution of people from all across the country because it is... The, the capital of the whole country, so you get people from everywhere. Yeah, I was surprised by that statistic that even in D.C., uh, 63% of friendship links were within 100 miles. There are people... Although 100 miles is pretty yeah, far. <laughs> there, there are people that are from here. Uh, and, and also, it's, yeah. it's the friendship connection, so it's also, you know, people move here for you know to work for the government or to work for some other company that's here and... and over time, their connections grow stronger to the, the local area. One of the, the things I found very interesting about and sort of curious about this is, so it, it, the interactive portion of this is you scroll down to this map, and as you scroll down, it, it continually divides the country into more and more parts based on how connected yeah. they are. And one of the things that really jumped out to me early on was how strangely early Nebraska just splits off like it's a whole other country. And, and I, I found that very strange. Um, and then when I, I looked a little bit closer at, at the data they were using, it's all from April of 2016. And one of the things about April of 2016 is that it is during all of the primaries that happened in 2016. So I wonder if that influenced anything. I, I, on the one hand, it, it seems like it would not influence things if everybody is just talking within 100 miles anyways, but I can imagine some of the weaker contacts might be a little skewed by people, you know, by phone banking or something else of people talking to people within the state about upcoming primaries. It might, but I think in this case, they were just talking about actual connections, you know, who has friended who and where are they located. So it's actually probably very different. I hadn't realized or I'd overlooked that the data was from that particular time. I would be curious to see what the data would look like now because I know so many people who over the ensuing two years have dropped a lot of Facebook connections Mm -hmm. uh, because people were acting obnoxious. And so I wonder how much that might have changed it if that makes people in certain areas less connected to those around them or people in other areas less connected to places far away. That is 
interesting to think about. And I hadn't realized, you're right, how isolated that is, but I think the area you're talking about, isn't that, doesn't that also include the Dakotas? Or well, the, so okay. in, it, the, the one in four parts, already you have the Dakotas and Minnesota sort of clustered off with Nebraska, and then the next, when it goes down to 10 parts, then Nebraska becomes its own thing. I just thought that was, I, I, I never thought of Nebraska as being, um, I, I, conceptually, it, for me, it bleeds into Kansas or Iowa more, and that uh, here it's it's more separated out. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And there was an article that I read a little while ago. I don't know if I shared it with you or not about um, small towns in the Plains states and what they're doing to try and retain their farming heritage and to stay relevant and economically viable in the world today. And one of the places they visited was it was in Nebraska. And you get a sense from that article of just how isolated everything is there. And so people are connected to others right next to where they are and they feel very isolated from everyone else. So I guess that's why Nebraska would be so by itself there. And I have to wonder if there are some kind of physical boundaries too at play there. Hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, I mean, I guess there's some mountains to the west that probably be part oh, of it. Yeah. What what stuck out to you with uh, the various divisions or the boundaries? What stuck out to me was, of course, you know, I'm looking at places where I live or where I have lived, and you really, I mean, even when you go down to 50 parts where, let's say, divide the United States into 50 new states based on social networks, and North and South Carolina are one big blob, and it's pretty close to the actual state boundaries of the two states, but they are one state. And they were never, from their inception, they were never one state. It's not like there was one Carolina that got split during the Civil War or something. They've always been two separate states, but I'm actually not that surprised that social network-wise they're very connected because it, there's a lot of, you know, they share a lot in the economy and the climate. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was interesting the way that California was split up, especially how um, Southern California was divided up into different parts. Uh, Los Angeles and San Diego are separate network areas. Yeah. And having grown up in Northern California, I always thought of Southern California as just one big area. But it really does make sense the more you think about it because they have very different characteristics, different problems, different issues, different economies. So I can see why Los Angeles and San Diego would be two different areas. Yeah, well, it's and, especially military in San Diego. And I guess it, there was more used to be around LA, but not really anymore. So you really have the, once you get down to San Diego, you have all the border stuff and then you have the military and then Los Angeles is its own thing. And that extends all the way into the desert. And then you have, sort of the rest of California and except for the top bit, which bleeds into Oregon, which makes a lot of sense. Although that's only when you get down to 50 parts it, at the 20 part level, you have the entire West coast is one giant blob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and even then what surprised me was that 
South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia, Maryland were all one blob and separate from Georgia. Yeah. I guess because I've lived in Georgia and because I still live very close to the border, I think of that as, and I have family there, I think of that as part of my network and something nearby. And I do not think of, you know, Virginia as quite as close by, but network-wise, mm-hmm. they're separate. Yeah, that I, that stuck out to me also, this real clear boundary between South Carolina and Georgia. I wonder how that happens. Well, I know that some people in big cities have sort of a rivalry mentality. And I think, I know there's some of that going on with Los Angeles and San Diego, you know, especially San Diego saying, well, we're not LA. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Boston and New York, obviously, even though they share uh, network space, at least before you get to 50 parts. And then New York very clearly splits off on its own. And so I wonder how much of that is people saying, well, we're not Atlanta and allying themselves with Charlotte or Raleigh or that urban area as opposed to the other urban area. The the other thing I I would wonder about is how much, I know that Georgia has a special um, college tuition program, and I wonder how much that influences the longer-term connections that people have. That's true. A lot of states have that, and I know that is a big deal in South Carolina. It keeps a lot of people going to school in-state. Georgia has the same thing where if you live here, you can get a really good scholarship to um, low tuition at in-state schools, and they have some very good schools like Georgia Tech and UGA. And so it encourages people to stay in the state and go to school in the state. And something like that, those sort of incentives could absolutely influence social networks. And I know California has the same thing. You can go to the really good you see schools if you're from in-state for much, much lower tuition than anyone out of state, even though neither of us did. <laughs> I took advantage of it eventually. That's true. That's true. One of the other things that popped up to me was how important the Mississippi River continues to be in terms of large sections. I mean, you get that's down to at the 10-part level. You have the Mississippi River really being a, a, a important dividing line. Yes. And that even goes back to both the physical and the historical boundaries that it talks about earlier in the article, since that's one of the most historically important waterways in the United States. It still forms a really important boundary in terms of physical and social networks and how people interact with each other. The first map that they they show in this is the connections to a particular Illinois county. And in addition to, and they they sort of say that it has this uh, connection to the Mississippi River, but it's interesting to me that it really, even though the Mississippi River is dividing line, there's connections on both sides of it. And you can imagine that people migrated up the Mississippi from both sides of the the river up just sort of north as a as a way that people moved along. Yes. And I'm looking at that map now and it, it tends to be more on the Mississippi side I can see there. The networks are a little stronger. That's a great example of the historical networks because 
after the Civil War, even before, a lot of African Americans moved away from the slave states and into the free states. Um, and Illinois was a popular destination, going up to the cities there to get jobs. And of course, there were relatives left behind. And so there are still strong ties to the families, the relatives that are still in Mississippi. And you can see that in the networks that there's a sort of a bright blue. They have the, the maps go from pale yellow all the way up for weak connections to bright blue for strong connections. And there's a blue spot in Cook County, Illinois, and then a lighter blue spot down in western Mississippi right next to the river. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've met several people who have moved back here to the south whose families maybe moved north during the Great Migration and they mm -hmm. might have had grandparents or great aunts or relatives down here. And when the economics of the northern towns weren't doing so great, they decided to move down here to the south to where their family had been a long time ago, sort of a reverse great migration. That's certainly been a, a big story of change in, in the U.S. And uh, especially it seems in I hear a lot about that in Georgia. I don't know if that's also something that's in South Carolina as well. Definitely. We get a lot of people coming from northern places down here. I was going to say another thing that um, they show is the Dust Bowl migration to California and the ties from Southern California to um, Oklahoma and parts of Texas from people who migrated there in the 1930s. It was interesting that they specifically point to Kern, well, I guess they are basing that off of Kern County, which is, a, I don't know if that, I would choose that particular, why would, a, a, if you're trying to escape the dust, I don't know why you would move there. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I guess it was an agricultural area that a lot of people must have gotten that far and said, my car's out of gas, we'll stop here, I don't know. Um, but I would like to see what some of the other counties in California look like in their connection to Dust Bowl counties. The other uh, thing that it's interesting to, to, for me to think about is is the they talk about how so there's the all the networks that are very localized and then they talk about the networks that are less localized and as you'd expect the sort of the large cities have connections all over. And then the other thing they point out is anywhere with a military base, that really has the most of use network because it, you have connections all across the country and between the different military bases. And so that's really the most diffuse network is, is found uh, because of military deployments and uh, assignments. That makes sense if you think about it because it is really the closest to sort of a randomized way to distribute people across the United States because when you sign up for the military you can choose which branch you join but you don't get to choose where you're sent for basic training and so you have people who would be joining the army from all over the country but they all might get sent to Kansas so they all might get sent to South Carolina so it's really a very fair way to pull these networks into one specific spot. And, and those bases tend to be, a lot of them are places where there isn't necessarily 
it's not a necessarily huge population center for a lot of them. So those weaker, those broader ties would dominate the the signal. Yes. On on the flip side, the the very to the very diffuse connections of the military bases, like a lot of other demographic maps, this one also recreates just how localized uh, Appalachia is. Yes. There's a map at the bottom of the article that shows where people's friends live within 50 miles of them, the, the percentage of their friends who live within 50 miles. And the further west you go, the fewer friends you have who live that close. The further east you go, um, the more you have. And it sort of focused around the Appalachian area. And I'm looking at Kentucky and Tennessee, especially mm -hmm. northern Alabama and um, western Virginia and West Virginia. That whole area has a lot of people who have their friends live very close by. And you can kind of see the urban areas in those states as dots where people have broader connections. But I know physically those areas are isolated for different reasons than maybe the plain states are. I mean, in, a, in Nebraska, you might have friends who live more than 50 miles away because the little towns are so spread out. Right. That just might be your... your... You, you go to your second neighbor and that's already 50 miles, especially right. yeah, in the rural Nevada. I can imagine if you know anybody that they live that far away. But in these hilly areas, hilly mountainous era, areas, it it's difficult to get to people who are very far away. So you tend to form these little clusters that stick to themselves, these little small towns that are close by, I mean, at least historically. Nowadays, obviously, we have highways and cars, but um, I went to college in the Appalachian area, and historically, the people in the haulers kind of kept to themselves because it was very difficult to travel through those mountains. I, I wonder how much of that also is just areas of, of uh, where the population growth happened and longer ago. That's true. It could be. One thing that I discovered from this article was a sociologist who's quoted at the very end here. One of his papers is linked as well. His name is Mark Granovetter. And I was curious to see more about him and why they were quoting him. And he is an economic sociologist. He was even nominated for the Nobel Prize in economics at one point. And I thought that was fascinating that that job exists. There is such a thing as an economic sociologist. And you would think that that would be something new because oh, what's the term for it where they say economics of how people live and interact, that's only become popular very recently. But behavioral economics. That's it, behavioral economics. But he's been writing about this since the 70s, and the paper that they linked, that he wrote, is about weak ties in social networks, is from 1973. Oh. So he really has been studying this for a long time. He's been studying social networks since before the internet existed. And I think it's really interesting, the insights that he's come up with. I spent some time 
looking through just you know abstracts and blurbs of the kinds of things he's written, but he has some interesting ideas about um, how our social networks influence the economy. And that is something you can kind of see here where the more economically depressed areas do tend to have uh, narrower social networks. And that's something that they talk about in this article too, that health outcomes are not as good for places where people's social networks are very all concentrated in one geographic area. Yeah, I would, I would imagine that would just, if nothing else, that would be a sign of, of less investment and in trade. Uh, there was one thing that I wanted to ask you about where they were talking about uh, says places that are more closely connected to one another also have more migration, trade, and patent citations between them. And I thought that was an odd thing to mention. Okay, places that are closely connected have more migration between them. They know people moving back to where their families are from. Trade, okay. Patent citations. Where did they come up with that? So maybe you can explain to me why that would be important or why they would have that statistic in the first place. I, I think it, it has numbers of patents is, a very, is nicely countable because there's an exact number of them and you know exactly how many there are. And in the U.S., every patent has the inventors listed by name and a town or city associated with them where they're residing or, or where they're doing their work. So that's, it's just a very clean data set. And because a lot of other things can be very messy, it, it gets used a lot as a proxy for innovation and, and research and development. Okay, that makes sense then. One of um, Granovetter's theories is that the weak ties that you have are very important for getting jobs and for economic activity. And so even if all of your best friends live within 50 miles of you, if you are connected maybe as acquaintances with a lot of people farther away in a lot of other places, you have better economic prospects because you can share information with those people. And the more uh, acquaintance type relationships you have, the better your chances of getting a good job and the more freely information flows through that network. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually something that the internet has helped facilitate because I know that every job I've gotten has been through some sort of social network is how I found out about it or pursued it through connections. And maybe these weren't people who I was exceptionally close to, but people that I knew and people that they knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I always wonder about the flip side of the other possibility of, of these weak ties being further out of, of just being evidence of having the resources to travel or to buy things from far away where it's just the, the additional connections are just because you have the resources to do so. That's a good point. I mean, because you were able to afford to go to college um, and because you're able to have a job that lets you travel, you make other connections. That does make sense. I know that even though the place where I live is not necessarily one of the most connected on earth, I am very glad that I do have such a wide 
social network that spans the globe. And that was one thing that initially drew me to this article is because my personal network is very broad. I was curious to see how, you know, sort of how people who have narrower networks, um, how they're clustered and how they're distributed throughout the U.S. just because it's not something that is my experience because I, I, I'm just one of those people who likes to travel and likes to meet people <clears throat> from all over the place. And that's not necessarily how everybody thinks and feels. And sometimes it's important for me to remember that. So th this is Facebook data. And I remember there were at various times before, uh, probably four or five years ago, before all sorts of uh, unpleasantries has happened since then. But uh, there were various times when there was like friend map or something like that, where you could get a map of, of you could generate a map of where all your Facebook friends were from. I don't remember whether or not I actually ran that, but I, is that something that you did? I seem to recall I tried to do that and it didn't work. And so I gave up. <laughs> it was just taking too long. And I said, oh, forget it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I generally know they, if, if I looked at my social network, if I had to guess, it would definitely be clustered around places where I lived, um, around places, you know, where I went to college, my hometown, the cities that I've lived in, and probably around the Southeast since the university I went to draws students primarily from the Southeast, and that's where most people went back to. I'm just kind of curious. I, I think when that was happening, I think at that time I still had my settings locked down enough that I, I think it wouldn't wouldn't run for me, which was probably, in hindsight, the proper way to have things set up. Yeah, that might have been why I couldn't do it too. I mean, I know when they ask you, oh, can I have permission to see this and see that, I would start getting leery and say, uh, I don't really want to know this information that badly. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm fine with sharing some of my own information, but when it starts asking for my friends, I... I don't feel comfortable sharing their information. And it turns out, like you said, that's probably a good thing. Maybe we stopped a few Russian trolls from hacking our friends. So returning once for one, maybe one last time to the, the map, the other, the other thing that jumped out to me that I thought was a little unexpected was how even just dividing the country into four parts that I, I was very surprised that Arizona split off from California, even at that early step. Does it? I'm looking. Oh, you're right. It does. That, that, that is surprising, because yeah. I do think of Arizona and Southern California as, you know, sharing a lot of commerce and connections and people driving back and forth between them. But I guess a lot less than we thought. Now. California being very connected to Las Vegas really doesn't surprise me because I do know a lot of people drive back and forth between there. Yeah. Um, but huh, Arizona is kind of its own little place and it's more connected to what's east of it, you know, towards Texas than it is what's west of it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Artist Materialist. Please rate and review wherever you've listened to this and share with a friend who's a weak tie far away. <laughs>